All right. Well, good morning. It's kind of nice. We get an extra couple minutes in the Word, uh, and we're going to need every minute we can get. I am a son of a Baptist preacher, and um, I preach, and uh, I don't like to stop. And so um, we've got about 20 minutes. I have 20 minutes, yeah. Thanks, Dan. 21, actually, but um, anyway. Um, all right, well, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dig in. Heavenly Father, we come to you um, ready to hear from your word, Lord. Uh, Lord, I'm aware of my weakness, and uh, I just ask you to speak through me and to bless your people. Um, I pray that you would encourage us and challenge us, and um, yeah, I pray that you would help these students to have attentive hearts and a desire to be obedient um, to you. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, here at Bible College, we're all pursuing um, at least uh, a, a certificate or a degree, but we're all studying to live a life of service to, the, to, to Jesus and to his church, whether that's in a vocational ministry position like a missionary or a pastor um, or, or just as a member of God's church, uh, as, as a person who evangelizes, a person who uh, teaches Sunday school, a person who uh, uses their house as a hospitality room to invite people over and, and to fellowship with. Uh, different areas of, of ways that we're all going to serve the Lord. Hopefully, we'll all be disciple-making uh, in, uh, in whatever role the Lord has us. But what kind of people should we seek to be as we train for a life of ministry? What kind of people should we seek to be as we train for a life of ministry? And more importantly, what kind of people does God use uh, in His kingdom? What kind of people does God love to use in his kingdom. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Judges chapter 16. That's where we're going to spend our time there. We're going to draw out some vitally important lessons by looking at the last days of Samson. Um, so Judges chapter 16. Just by way of introduction, if, if you had been there for the birth of Samson and for the beginning of his career, um, Imagine the anticipation of what could, uh, could have been accomplished through his life. Uh, imagine this is a man who his, his mother had been barren. She wasn't able to have children. The angel of God showed up to her one day and told her she was going to have a son who was going to be a Nazarite all of his life. And the, the angel of the Lord told her that through this son, God would begin to drive out the Philistines from, from the land of Canaan. Just think about how he, he emerged then uh, as a young man in, in Judges chapters 14 and 15. Uh, the, the Spirit of the Lord was mightily upon him and gave him the supernatural strength. You remember when he took the jawbone of a donkey and he killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey? Can you imagine uh, as a lifelong Nazarite, someone who was completely devoted to God alone, if he had taken that vow seriously. He, he never cut his hair, but there were two other vows that, that he wouldn't have been allowed to do. Uh, he shouldn't have been drinking wine, and he shouldn't have been touching carcasses. Those were also in Numbers chapter 6, uh, the outline of what a Nazarite would look like. 
And, and besides all of that, the Nazarite would be devoted to the Lord. He would spend his life, uh, as long as his vow was, um, was good, he would spend his life trying to just devote himself to the Lord and consecrate himself, set himself apart for the Lord. That is what Nazar- uh, a Nazarite was. That's what Samson was supposed to be. It, it, it sounds really good. Uh, let's, see how, let's see how he does. So look with me in Judges chapter 16, verse 1. This is at the, the second half of his life. It says, Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went in to her. Well, that's a problem. We're starting out already. He's, he's doing three things I see that he shouldn't be doing. He shouldn't be in Gaza. That's the Philistine city. He shouldn't be hanging around the enemies of God's people. He should be separate from them. He shouldn't be seeing prostitutes. Um, and he shouldn't be involved with Philistine women. God was very clear uh, that the people of Israel shouldn't be intermingling with the other nations. They should be driving them out. And instead, Samson is here um, with a Philistine uh, prostitute in Gaza where he shouldn't be. Verse 2, when it was told to the Gazites, saying, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept silent all night saying, let us wait until the morning light, then we will kill him. Can you imagine this? These Philistines, they had been uh, beaten up by Samson. The, the Philistine nation had been ravaged by him. Uh, we'll see that even later on at the end of the chapter. But he, he had terrorized them, and they now have this opportunity they lie in wait in the gates of the city. There would have been something like a guard room on either side of the, the gate um, where they could have waited for him. But it says that Samson lay until midnight. At midnight, he arose and he took hold of the doors of the city gate and the two posts and he pulled them up along with the bars and he put them on his shoulders and he carried them up to the top of the mountain, which is opposite Hebron. Hebron would have been about 40 miles east of Gaza. Um, just to, to give you an idea, Bozeman to Three Forks is only 31 and a half miles. Um, can you imagine uh, this man picking up these heavy gates with this heavy post and carrying them up um, some distance to this top of a mountain? It's a, it's a mighty feat of supernatural strength. Um, and that supernatural strength, as I already mentioned, it's due to the empowering of the Spirit of God in his life. Uh, it's interesting to see Samson's spiritual weakness combined with his physical strength, and that turns out to be a really dangerous combination in his life. Um, but anyway, these first three verses uh, show us that Samson's just in the same cycle of sin as uh, the previous chapters of his life, um, which you can read later. But look at verse 4 with me. After this time, it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. This is a problem again. Uh, he shouldn't be here with this woman. Uh, this is uh, the valley of Sorek. Sorek means choice vine. And as you remember, he wasn't supposed to be having anything to do with vineyards and wine and grapes and, and anything to do with that. Uh, it's just another reminder that he didn't, he didn't take seriously his vow uh, in those regards, and he uh, went to the valley of Sorek, and he loved this woman whose name was Delilah. 
Uh, the text doesn't say that she is for sure a Philistine, but because of where she lived and how accessible she was to the, the lords of the Philistines, um, all of the commentaries that I read said that she was, she was most likely uh, a Philistine herself. Um, but verse 5 goes on, The lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and see where his great strength lies and how we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him. Then we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. They were done with the direct approach. <laughs> they were done trying to tie him up and carry him off. They were done trying to surprise him at the gates of the city. Uh, they're going a more subversive route this time. They, they know Delilah uh, and his, her relationship with Samson, and, and so they're going to capitalize on that. And they offer her 1,100 pieces of silver each. There's five lords of the Philistines. So that would have been 5,500 pieces of silver um, the, the estimate that, that I have is that it would have been 30 pounds of silver each man. And so all told, it would be 150 pounds of silver. That's a lot of money. Uh, in today's world, with silver being $16.31 a troy ounce, that would have been $35,678.13, which is a lot of money today. But just imagine in the ancient world, uh, how, how much this would have been. It would have been a, an, um, more riches than I think she could have imagined. And so they offered her this money, and she takes the job. Verse 6, So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength is, and catch this, and how you may be bound to afflict you. She just straight up tells him, um, Please tell me where your great strength is, and how you may be bound to afflict you. Now, dating advice here. Um, <laughs> if, you, if the person you're really interested in asks you uh, what your weaknesses are so that they can torture you and torment you, you probably should run the other way. That seems fairly obvious to me. Um, Samson didn't. Samson knew her evil in intentions, but uh, I think Samson enjoyed toying with her. Uh, from earlier in Samson's life, you remember the riddle he proposed, almost an impossible riddle about the honey in the carcass of a lion, and, and he enjoyed telling it to these best men at his wedding, his wedding feast, and he just loved, he loved it. He loved that they couldn't figure it out until finally his wife drew the answer out of him, and, and then he got really mad and killed 60 men. Um, but he enjoyed these mental games. He enjoyed feeling more powerful than others, both physically and mentally. And so he plays the game. Uh, verse 7, Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh cords that have not yet been dried, then I will become weak and be like any other man. Now this is a problem here. Um, seven fresh cords would have been made out of intestines of animals. He shouldn't be touching carcasses. He shouldn't be touching dead things. Here's just another example of Samson despising his, his consecration to the Lord. He's, he's telling Delilah to tie him up with exactly what he wasn't supposed to touch. And so um, she does. The lords of the Philistines, verse 8, brought up to her seven fresh cords that had not yet been dried. She bound him with them. And she had men lying in wait in an inner room. Can you imagine the men? They're fairly confident. Um, there have been times before where Samson's gotten the better of them, but now they know the secret. They're waiting, and they're armed, and they're ready, and, and they're excited. And, and then uh, she says 
to him, to Samson, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he just, he snapped the cords as a string of toe snaps when it touches fire. The word there for touches is actually the word for smells. And so it's not even that there's, it's, it's just a picture that he just, he just had no problem uh, snapping this cord. And it says, so his strength was not discovered. Can you imagine the Philistines? The Sam, the Samson, the Philistines are upon you. They run into the room all armed and ready. And he just snaps off the cords and they just disappear. And they run out the door and they dive out the window and they cower behind the couch and they, they get out of there. Verse 10, then Sam, Delilah said to Samson, Behold, look here, you have deceived me and told me lies. Shame on you. <laughs> now please tell me how you may be bound, remember, to afflict you. He said to her, If they bind me tightly with new ropes, which have not yet been used, then I will become weak and be like any other man. You remember the, the Judahites did this to Samson. They bound him with new ropes before they handed him over to the Philistines. And then he broke free of that and killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Uh, and, and I don't know if Delilah just didn't know that story yet or uh, if she thought maybe two ropes would do the trick. But, <laughs> but that's what they did. She took two new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. For the men were lying in wait in the inner room. Can you imagine them this time? <laughs> They're still fairly confident, but a little bit more uh, cautious. They, they, uh, they kind of walk into the room, the, the, pushing the guy in front of them into the room before them. And, uh, and Samson's standing there, and it says he snapped the ropes from his arms like a thread. There's, there's no problem at all. His, his strength is still very much with him. Then Delilah said to Samson, Up till now you have deceived me and told me lies. Tell me how you may be bound. And it's, it's just so ironic. Uh, she's just playing this game of you're so mean because you're not telling me this when her intentions are just diabolical. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my hair with the web and fasten it with a pen, then I will become weak and be like any other man. There would have been uh, like uh, two posts in the ground and then four pegs off of that tied with ropes that would secure this thing. And then they would uh, weave, you know, you know, they would weave clothing and different things into this tight material. And so that's what happens here. She took the seven locks of his hair while he's sleeping and wove them into the web. And she fastened it with the pin and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. This would have been fairly secure. Um, he wouldn't have, you know, he wouldn't have been like a normal person wouldn't have been able to get out of that without ripping their hair out or, or something like that. It would have been very painful and, and very secure. But Samson has no problem. She says, the Philistines are upon you. The men kind of tiptoe into the room and he awakes from his sleep and pulls out the pen of the loom and the web. So things are starting to intensify. Delilah's putting on the pressure and Samson is still playing the game. Verse 15, then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength is. It's, it's so silly that she keeps, she, she says, How can you say I love you and your heart is not with me? Her whole purpose in this relationship is to, is to capture him and sell him off to the Philistines so that she can be filthy rich. 
She doesn't care about Samson at all, and yet she's able to uh, twist, twist things, and, and, uh, and he gives in. It says, he, it came about when she pressured him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. He was sick and tired of it. Um, it was a daily thing, all day long. It wasn't just like, honey, can you pick up your clothes from the floor in the, in, by the hamper? Put them in the hamper, please. It wasn't that. It wasn't, you know, um, honey, can you help me wash the dishes? It was, it was every day, constantly, all of the time. Tell me where your great strength is so that we may bind you to afflict you. And so, verse 17, he told her all that was in his heart. And said to her, A razor has never come on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and be like any other man. He gives in. He tells her his Nazarite vow. And and notice his mentality regarding his strength. Where does he think that his strength seems to lie? It seems like he's putting some emphasis on himself. I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and be like any other man. But his strength didn't come from him being a Nazarite. His, the, the Nazarite vow doesn't include supernatural strength. If you read Numbers 6, you will not see if you abstain from uh, cutting your hair and from wine and from uh, touching corpses, you will have supernatural strength. It's, it's just not there. The supernatural strength was an added, uh, just an added gift from the Lord that he gave this particular person for this particular time. So then she made him sleep on her knees. Oh, sorry, verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands, She made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to afflict him, and his strength left him. She said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. He assumes that he still has his strength. He says, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. He had this idea that the strength God supplied was his own strength. And we are also quick to do that at times. Um, This is said by many, this verse here, when it says he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. This is said by many people to be the saddest verse in the Old Testament. He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Just a, a side note quickly, um, in, there can be some confusion around this where people wonder, can God take his spirit away from me? And that can be a cause of worry to some people. And so I just wanted to encourage you, uh, in the Old Testament, and this time in redemption history, God's spirit would be given and withdrawn from individuals for the purpose of leading God's people. So you see that Saul had the spirit of God, and then he forfeited the spirit of God in First Samuel 16. And then David, you remember after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, he prayed in Psalm 51, Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Uh, In the New Covenant, we uh, have God's Holy Spirit dwelling within each and every believer, and the Spirit of God will not depart. Um, 
you can read Romans 8 later if, you, if you'd like to, to really uh, work that out. But believers can, however, grieve or even quench the Spirit um, through their actions. Look in verse 21. He did not know that the, the Lord had departed from him. He's weak. He's like any other man. Then the Philistines seized him, and they gouged out his eyes. Can, can you imagine? Just ripping his eyes out. They brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison. Can you imagine their confidence starting to mount as they, they grab him, and, and they are almost expecting to be thrown back, but, but nothing happens, and so more men start to, to come around, and they all, they all grab him, and they throw him down, and they poke his eyes out, and, and they chain him up. Can you imagine uh, them watching as he, he might struggle with his chains, and every few minutes he would test them to see if he could finally break out, and they would see it wiggle, and they would, they would just have fear come across their faces once more, and then, and then nothing would happen, and they would lead him on. The first time he went to Gaza, in verse 1, his lust drew him there, but now his sin has dragged him there. He is being led down to Gaza in chains. One preacher summarized the effects of sin seen in this verse as blinding, binding, and grinding. And that's certainly what it did to Samson, and that's what it does to us. But we have this, this glimmer of hope in verse 22. The hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. And that's just, a, a, I think, just a preview of what's to come, a, a reminder. God's not done with Samson yet, and, uh, and there's more to come. So we've reached this turning point in the story. Samson has given in. God has given him up to the Philistines, and now they're about to celebrate. Look at verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. For they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their god. For they said, Our God has given our enemy, Samson, into our hands, even the destroyer of our country, who has slain many of us. They're, so they're, they're excited. They're happy. This is party time. They have... They have captured their main enemy. Uh, they've gathered at the Temple of Dagon in Gaza, and they're offer, offering sacrifices. They're singing praises. Uh, this, these poems that we just read, they rhyme very well in the, in the original language. Um, and, and they're singing these praise songs to their false god. But look at the irony there. They say, our God has given Samson our enemy into our hands. But we can, we can read that with a bit of a smile because we know the truth. We saw it back in verse 20. He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. It was not Dagon who delivered Samson into the, the hands of the Philistines. The Lord delivered Samson into the hands of the Philistines. And so we know what's really going on. And we can get excited about that and have hope because we know, we know what's going to happen. The in intensity is heightening uh, as the, the Philistines are celebrating. Um, and, and then look at verse 25. It happened that when they were in high spirits, they said, call for Samson that, they, that he may amuse us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he entertained them, and they made him stand between the pillars. Can you imagine this? There are 3,000 Philistines in this building. They are, they are most likely drunk, and they're swollen with the pride of victory. They see Samson, 
this, this man who used to just send chills down their spine, and he's chained up, he's shackled, and he's chained up, and he can do nothing. And, and they're just laughing at him, and they're just making fun of him. You can imagine uh, throwing vegetables at him, and, and little kids coming up and kicking him in the shin, and running away, and he's powerless to do anything. He can't even see what's going on. They, they are enjoying watching Samson uh, in, this, in, this, in this light. And so Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, verse 26, let me fill the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women were on the roof looking on while Samson was amusing them. This is a big deal. There's 3,000 of the most prominent Philistines in this building. This is the head honchos right here. Um, You remember when when Samson was was foretold about by the angel of God that the angel said he will begin to deliver God's people from the Philistines. He will begin to drive out the Philistines. And that's certainly what we see uh, about to happen. Verse 28, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. It has been said before that God will uh, not use someone greatly until he first wounds them deeply. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10, When I am weak, then I am strong. Why is that? Look with me in Isaiah chapter 40 very quickly. Um, Isaiah chapter 40, you all know this passage. Um, the people of Israel were in a, in a fairly similar state. They had been led away captive by the Babylonians. They were, they were waiting in Babel, Babylonian captivity. They were weak. They, they didn't have their temple. They didn't have their land. And they cried out to God, and God answered through the prophet Isaiah years before it actually happened. He says, verse 28, Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. See, people get weary and tired. Even Samson lost all of his strength. But God, it says, gives strength to the weary. To him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. This prayer back in Judges 16 is simply a prayer of of dependence upon God, a prayer of humility to God, a prayer of desperation. He is uh, weak, and he is tired, and he is without hope. He is blind. He can do nothing. And he cries out with a loud voice. Can you imagine it? In the, in the den of the Philistines' temple, they're all, they're all laughing, and they're excited. They're clapping each other on the back. And they're all staring at this pitiful excuse for a man who's, who's blind and, and just leaning on these pillars. And then, and then he calls out. And you can just imagine a hush over the temple as they, 
as they want to hear what he's going to say. And he cries out, Oh, Lord God. He calls on uh, the God of Israel here. Um, the, the way it's worded makes me wonder if his mind was drawn to Exodus 34, verse 6, when God said about himself, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. He had blown it many times, and he is now humbled and shackled and blind, and yet he calls out to God, please remember me and please strengthen me. He's no longer arrogantly assuming the Lord's strength, but he's just asking for it humbly. We see a man, a strong man made weak, dependent upon God, trusting his mercy. I think this is why Samson is in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Not because he was a mighty man of God who devoted his life to God's service, but because he simply trusted God. He put his hope in, in God. Remember, Abraham believed in the Lord and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. By grace we are saved through faith. This is not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 20, Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, braced himself against them, the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might so that the house fell on the Lord's and on all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed in his life. Remember God had promised that he would use Samson to begin to drive out the Philistines. Here we have 3,000 of the leading men and women of the Philistine people dead uh, in a heap around Samson. Samson cried out to God, and God strengthened him that one last time. And then verse 31, it closes by just showing us um, Samson being laid to rest, really as a hero. His brothers and all his family's household came down, took him, brought him up, and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. Um, he's laid to rest in the region where he'd grown up, and um, Expositor's commentary says he was given the honor of burial in his father's tomb. Okay, that's an amazing story, but what's the point? Here's the point. God uses humbled sinners to accomplish his purposes. God uses humbled sinners to accomplish his purposes. So what's here for you and me this morning? How should this affect the way we prepare for a lifetime of ministry? I want us to note three things, and then we'll close. Note the presence of sin. Note the presence of sin. You see sin throughout Samson's life. He was a man given over to what he looked at, what he, what he wanted, what his flesh craved. He, he went and got it, and it enslaved him. We need to have a high view of God and a low view of self, and I think we do that by, by, like James 1 says, we look at the mirror of God's word, and as we look at God's word, we see who we are in light of God, and it shows us our sin, and it reminds us of our state if you want to be a humbled sinner, get to know Scripture and examine your life in light of what it says. Note the presence of sin and, and be sure, and, and, and I'm sure that each of us has indwelling sin that we are dealing with 
Um, we may be dealing with it well, and we may de- be dealing with it poorly, but we are all struggling with sin, um, and we will until we die, until Christ comes back. And so, note the presence of sin. Note the painfulness of sin. Look at the effects of sin in Samson's life. Again, he was blinded, he was enslaved, and he was afflicted. He lived with this woman, Delilah, who, who only wanted his, his destruction. Uh, sin looks enticing, but you know the statement, sin will take you farther than you wanted to go, it will keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. Note the presence of sin, the painfulness of sin, but then note the pardon for sin. Jesus is the kind of deliverer that Samson never could be. He was meant to deliver the people of Israel from the Philistines, and his, his failures in his uh, spiritual life and his devotion to the Lord caused this downfall when he probably could have continued for years if he hadn't um, been this way. Jesus, on the other hand, overcame every temptation he ever pay, faced so that he could be the perfect substitute for us. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus bore our sins to the cross and received the punishment that we deserve so that everyone who puts their trust in him will not perish but have eternal life. He then empowers us by his spirit to serve him. Uh, And that's why in Ephesians 6 it says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And in Colossians 1, it says that Paul, uh, he labors mightily with, with his might that works within him. God uses humbled sinners to accomplish his purpose. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. I pray that you would, as you prepare these uh, people for ministry, that you would help them to prepare Um, well. And as we see uh, a humbled man used greatly in the end, uh, we want to be a humbled people, but we don't want to have to uh, go through the things that Samson went through to get there. We want to see our uh, sin and our weakness in light of your word, and and we want to trust in your spirit. Um, Lord, we love you and we praise you. I pray that you would bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen.